Well, hello again. We're going to spend some... You answered so much better that time. Thank you. We're going... Yeah, give yourselves a hand. That was really awesome. We are going to spend some time looking at the scriptures together, which is a regular habit for us here. It's our middle name, Grace Bible Church. Uh, And so if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter 14. We're continuing our Romans series. Uh, Romans chapter 14. There are Bibles under the chairs as well. If you want to grab those to follow along with us, it'll be around page 948. Romans chapter 14. In our Romans series, we've talked in general that 11 chapters of Romans are about how God could justify sinners. How can God make peace with cosmic rebellion, right? With those who are genuinely wicked. We've, we've done evil. We've either been uh, kind of soft in our evil and been religious people that try to live a good life, but secretly we're selfish people. Or we've been outright rebellious, right? We've just turned our face openly from God, run away the other direction from his rule and his leadership in our life. Either way, all humanity, Romans has established, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. And so Romans 1 through 11 is wrestling with how is it possible that God could justify sinners? How could God make sinful people righteous? And the answer is through the cross, that Jesus took our sins upon himself on the cross and gives us his righteousness through his resurrection power. And so that changes everything in our lives. So now Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, the last section of Romans is about what difference does it make in our lives? How do we live differently if God has made peace with us? How do we live differently if through the gospel, through the good news, we are now righteous in God's sight? This week, he's going to focus on the issue of unity, of Christians getting along with each other. He's talking specifically about Christians in this passage. So if you're not a follower of Christ, I think a lot of what we're talking about here will still be helpful. So I think uh, encourage you to not just turn off your brain, right, and to continue to listen. But he is focusing on Christian people, those that are already devoted to Jesus, how do we live in unity with with one another? What does that look like to be unified, to be on the same page with each other? Great illustration of this from a book by Jerry Bridges that I read a few years ago. It was one of his grace books, either Disciplines of Grace or Transforming Grace. I don't remember which one it was, but Jerry Bridges was the author, and he talked about some missionary families that were living overseas. One missionary family went a year or so before another missionary family that later joined them. And as you know, one of the biggest issues for missionaries in the field, maybe you don't know this, is unity, is just getting along, right? You've got driven people that want to give their lives to Jesus, and that causes some very strong and passionate opinions about things, and they're living in a different culture. They're having uh, a lot of obstacles and difficulties they're facing, and so that can make them hard people to get along with when another missionary family comes over and they're trying to work together. Well, one missionary family went overseas And it was very difficult to get peanut butter in this place. And they just made that an act of sacrifice to the Lord. They said, we are going to give up peanut butter. We're going to lay that at the altar. Uh, I hate peanut butter, but apparently they liked it. Um, We're going to lay that down and give that. I'm sorry. I know I just offended some people. I saw heads shaking. Uh, We're going to give that up. We're going to lay that down for the Lord, right? So they made a sacrifice out of that. That became a part of their spiritual rhythm, part of their spiritual life when they were overseas, Another missionary family comes over to join them a year later, and guess what is one of the first things they unpack out of their crate? Like giant Sam's cases, Costco cases of peanut butter, right? So what did that do? Did they graciously get along with each other and just figure out a way to work that out? No, they actually ended up breaking up. They couldn't work together because it drove the one family so crazy that the other family would indulge in peanut butter right in front of them when they had given that up to the Lord. 
And it's one of those interesting examples of the silly things that we can fight over. It's serious, but it's silly, right? And it shows how quickly unity breaks down when, when we should be unified. If we know that we're sinners that need a Savior in Jesus and that Jesus is that Savior, we have a lot to be unified around. So Paul's going to talk about how, how do we work that out in real life. So let's read the text, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me pray and ask God to to teach us this morning. God, we pray for you to lead us. We pray for your, your word to inform us, for your spirit to open our minds and to mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm doing something a little unusual for me, and I'm using a a word that's really not in this text. Unity is a word that's found in other texts, um, but I think unity is just the easiest catch-all term for this whole concept. I thought about just saying gospel welcome. But honestly, the word welcome seems more vague and strange. And so I just thought unity helps us to understand what we're talking about. We are one, right? We are one in judgment, one in Christ. And so then we should be one in how we get along with each other. So we're calling it this morning gospel unity. And so the first question I want us to answer is, what is unity? What do I mean by that? Again, the word, the specific word unity is not used in this text, but the concept is there. Christians getting along with each other, welcoming each other, not judging each other, not despising each other. I would say the catch-all for that is unity. More specifically, what is he saying here? Well, chapter 13 last week gave us a a broader context for unity, which I think is important because there's some left-right boundaries when it comes to unity. Uh, Keller was helpful in his commentary. of kind of helping me process some of this. I think you could say that for someone who might be a liberal Christian, uh, there is nothing worth arguing about, Right? We should get along no matter what. And for a conservative, everything is worth arguing about, right? Now, I've insulted you if you like either of those terms. The concept would be that biblical Christianity doesn't really fit into those kinds of categories, right? It's this whole other thing completely. Gospel Christianity says, yeah, there are some issues worth fighting about, but typically we fight about the wrong things, right? Typically we fight about the wrong things, And so he's saying, welcome each other, don't despise one another, don't judge one another. Um, So chapter 13 gave us a boundary, and it said we should love each other, and we should fulfill the law. 
And really, he's talking about, I think, overall, the, the moral law of the Old Testament. Basically, I think the Ten Commandments is the best summary of God's moral law, right? The Ten Commandments is always given a special place. It's like written on stone tablets by God. It's put in a golden box. You know, it's set aside as something that kind of stands above all the detailed laws of the Mosaic regulations that we would say, we're, we're no longer under those. We're not Israelites, right? We're under the new covenant, so we don't have to go through all the ceremonial law. But there's still this moral framework. It's most clearly seen through the Ten Commandments. Where Christians tend to, to quibble over that is really just the Sabbath, which I always joke is the easiest one to fulfill, right? It says rest. Um, we argue about how and when and what time and everything. But Really, the Ten Commandments, we all agree on. The, the one, the fourth commandment on Sabbath, we, there's a little quibbling over. But basically, that's the moral framework that we should all be unified around, right? There is a moral framework. Jesus has died for our sins. We should be unified around that. That, that gives us kind of a basis for unity. And we'll talk about this more as we, we move on. But moving into now chapter 14, verse 1 says it this way. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Okay? So first definition of unity, I would say, is welcoming other Christians, but not to quarrel over opinions over secondary matters. The way it's translated in some places is debatable issues. Have you ever heard it said that way? There are debatable issues. There are things that Christians debate about, right? So welcome other Christians that have different views than you, but not for the purpose of debating, right? It's to be unified on the important things. So welcome each other but not to debate, not to quarrel over these opinions. And then verses 2 through 4, verse 10, gives more specific kind of flesh on the bones of what unity is. Again, he defines it negatively. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. I'll give you more background on why they would disagree over what they eat and don't eat. But here he defines in verse 3, don't despise the one who abstains, right? So the person who is maybe has a stricter diet, the person who has, maybe we'll say in more general uh, principles, the, the stricter Christian, don't despise them for being strict, right? If you're like a casual, modern Christian that doesn't worry about things, don't despise your brother or your sister that's more strict, okay? That's unity. You need to honor them. And then he flips it to the other side as well. Verse four, who are you to pass judgment Excuse me, let me keep going verse 3. Don't despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So he flips it on both sides, right? So what he's saying is we both do this to each other. The, the Christian with the really tight, strict scruples that is worried about things more, well, we shouldn't despise them if we're less worried. Then he flips that around. The Christian that is stricter, you better not judge your brother or sister for being not as strict as you. Do you see that? Do you see how that follows? Now, again, we're not talking about the general moral framework of the Ten Commandments here. We're talking about secondary issues. And I think that's really important for us to understand. If you're a rule follower, we talked about this a little bit last week, that's hard for you to distinguish. You just, by temperament, have a hard time distinguishing the fact, the biblical fact, that some things are more important than others. And so I just want to press you on that. Um, that there is a distinction. Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew 23. He says there are weightier matters in the law, right? And here Paul is making the same thing. He's just said in chapter 13, yeah, Ten Commandments are important. We obey the Ten Commandments. That's how we love each other. But 
we shouldn't fight out these other things like what we eat, what days we worship on, these secondary issues, okay? So that distinction, again, is going to be very hard for some of you to acknowledge, okay, there's some things that are kind of important and other things that are really important, and that's a hard thing to distinguish. He's saying here we shouldn't judge each other and we shouldn't despise each other for that. For some people, you're like, yeah, it's no big deal. Well, don't judge the person that it is a big deal for. And those of you that it is a big deal, well, you're told not to judge the person that it's not a big deal to. We have to obey our conscience is the way this is said, said often. Um, when it comes to secondary issues, you have to obey your conscience. And Paul goes into a lot of detail on that concept in the parallel passage in 1 Corinthians. What's interesting is it's flipped around in 1 Corinthians. The strong and the weak are actually kind of flipped. There's a different, there's a different type of cultural issue there, but we won't take time to go into that one. I'm just kind of giving you that as you go and read the text... Their eating and not eating is kind of flipped. They have different reasons and different cultural issues in Corinth than they do here in Romans. So to summarize, what is 